and we're going to read in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to just read the first uh, three verses, four verses. We're in a kind of a sub-series on Wednesday nights right now with having followed the saints throughout the Old Testament and a little ways into the New Testament. We followed some of the saints up to the mountainside, to the Mount of Beatitudes, and Jesus delivers that famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount. And that's what we see in verse number 1 in chapter number 5. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Father, we pray that you'd bless us tonight. Help us as we explore these beatitudes and the blessedness that's tied to them. Lord, we all want to be happy. We all want joy. We want peace and contentment. And Lord, we believe you've included those attributes and those virtues in these very beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount that we are studying about. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to learn to be glad in whatever comes our way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I was a kid, I don't know, maybe eight or ten years old, I had an old 33 and a third RPM vinyl record. <laughs> this was a long time ago. <clears throat> and we didn't have cassettes and we didn't have eight-track tapes and we didn't have MP3s and we didn't have uh, online <laughs> electronics to play our music. We had record players. And uh, I had a 33 and a third RPM. It's called, uh, I think it was the Denver Dragon was the name. It was kind of a... Com- kind of a comedian and cowboy songs combined on that 33 and a third RPM vinyl record. And I'd play that thing over and over and over again. I mean, we, we didn't have a lot of entertainment back then. Nobody had an iPhone. And uh, most of the time we didn't have a TV because the old TV would go in and out. And they had tubes back then. You had to repair the things. And you'd have to wait a week or two or three or maybe a month or two to get one repaired. So a lot of the times we had to entertain ourselves. Well, I'd listen to that old record and uh, the old man on the record, he was asked by a neighbor one time, he said, your old hound dog has been whining and howling so mournfully tonight. He said, what is wrong with him? He said, the old man said, well, he's sitting on his tail and he just ain't got the motivation to move over he's just too lazy so we just keep on howling <clears throat> well what we're studying about tonight is about mourning and its connection to blessedness and while that might seem a little bit of, uh, of a paradox it might seem a little bit of contradictory um, we're, instead of being lazy we're just going to study it and find out why the Lord said this the Sermon on the Mount began with a short series of verses called the Beatitudes, part of the Sermon on the Mount. And you probably wondered all your life, what is the Latin word for Beatitudes? Have you ever wondered that? (laughs) No, me neither. (laughs) But uh, it's beatus, beatus, beatus. That's the Latin word. Well, that's where the English word, I guess, came from for Beatitudes. It means blessedness. It means joy, happiness, peacefulness, contentment, 
And Jesus pronounces in these Beatitudes, he pronounces a blessedness, the state of being joyful, happy, and at peace within yourself. And we've covered the first one last week about blessed are the poor. <clears throat> now you remember that we talked about the poor in spirit. That kind of opens the door for us. If we have emptied ourselves, which means to be poor in spirit means we empty ourselves. We, when we are empty, we realize our, our absolute impossibility of being able to do really anything apart from God. And especially in the spiritual life, being able to produce any spiritual fruit, it's not going to happen apart from God's involvement. He's going to have to do it. We have to be willing to cooperate, but he's the one who does it in us. And when we're poor in spirit, we've emptied self and we've invited the Holy Spirit just to take us and make us and mold us into what he wants us to be. That's being poor in spirit. When we empty ourselves of self-ambition, self-centeredness, and the ways of the world, then God can begin to do a work in us. So that's why we say poor, being poor in spirit is opening the door to these other beatitudes. If you're not emptied of self, these other things are not going to be, be happening either. And so we move from that then tonight and we talk about the, the Sermon on the Mount just by way of a little bit of reminder. The Sermon on the Mount was spoken primarily uh, for the Jewish people uh, of that day. Jesus is presenting his kingdom. And as we've already learned many times, the Jews, the leadership of Israel said, no, we don't want you. You're not going to be our king. And they rejected him. In chapter 12 of Matthew, you see that rejection come to a finality when they commit the unpardonable sin. And they say, yeah, you're, you're of the devil. We don't want you. And uh, they reject him. And so in, in chapter 13, he talks about the mysteries of the kingdom. And so this kingdom, which will be fulfilled to the Jews, any promise that God has made to the Jews will be fulfilled. But this promise of a kingdom was postponed when they rejected him. They didn't want his kingdom. He said, okay, have it your way. And so he left the Jews to their own devices. Now that will be fulfilled for Israel in the future. It is a prophecy that will be fulfilled. And you and I will have a part in it as Gentiles who take part in the new covenant, but it's primarily to the Jews. But since we as Christians have the Spirit of God living in us and we've accepted Jesus as our king, we have a spiritual kingdom. So there is a sense in which the kingdom exists in the hearts of believers now. And so if these Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount is geared towards what God expects out of His people, and that time the Jews, and then us as a church, we'll be included with the Jews in that kingdom future. If that's the way the qualities He expects in His people in that future kingdom, then if he reigns in our hearts as king right now, wouldn't he expect the same thing? And so that's where we're going with this. Right now in the church age, we may have a mystery kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom in the heart, but it exists because Jesus is our king. And tonight we move on to the next beatitude of the blessedness of those who mourn. And again, it almost sounds like a contradiction. I mean, how can you, have you ever thought about that? How can, you, how can you mourn and be blessed at the same time? Blessed means happy, joyful, content. So how can you mourn and expect to be happy? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. <coughs> we'll explore that mystery. Matthew Henry said, 
a commentator from past years, he said, we are apt to think, blessed are the Mary. But Christ, who himself was a great mourner, says, blessed are the mourners. If Jesus said it, I believe you and I can trust that it's true, don't you? It says it in the word of God. And so if he says, you can be blessed because of your mourning, then it's got to be true. What do we mean? What kind of mourning is this? You know, there are differences in the way people mourn and weep. I mean, some people go maybe belly up financially and then they mourn and weep about it. Uh, somebody might have a child that goes wayward and they mourn and weep about it. Or somebody may have an expectation of getting a big raise at work or a new job and it doesn't happen. They weep and mourn about it. <laughs> we can name a thousand things. <coughs> there is a sinful mourning. The Bible calls it the sorrow of the world. And it's mourning about temporal things, temporary things, material things that's going to pass away with fervent heat one of these days. Your diamond rings are going to be gone. <laughs> Gold's going to melt. It's going to melt so with such a high temperature, it's just going to vaporize and disappear. Bank account will be gone. Your Lamborghini will be gone. Your swimming pool is going to be gone. <laughs> It's even so bad that your Dodge Charger will even be gone. <laughs> I love Dodge Chargers. <laughs> there is a sinful mourning and there is a natural mourning. That's weeping over things that's just natural. I mean, I, I went to a funeral uh, night before last. And wasn't it night before last? Well, wasn't it? My days are getting kind of fuzzy. Went to my first cousin, Pam O'Neill Bachman, passed away. She was the same age as me, and we were kids together and, and did a lot of growing up when we were like elementary age kids and played together a lot. We were playmates, and we, our parents visited together a lot, and so I didn't know much about it in later years, but at that time we were kind of close. Well, she passed away and went to her funeral Monday night, and her brother, my first cousin, Mike, preached the funeral. He's a Baptist preacher as well. And uh, when somebody passes away, it's just kind of natural to mourn their passing, isn't it? I mean, I've heard people make the ridiculous statement to somebody who's just lost a loved one. I mean, maybe a husband died, maybe a wife's died, maybe a child has died. And they say, well, don't cry, don't cry. Well, that's kind of crazy. I mean, it's kind of natural to cry when you lose a loved one. Now, we won't live in a state of mourning forever, you know, the rest of our life, mourning that and failing to live out our life because we mourn over something that happened a long time ago. But there is a natural mourning, and there is a gracious mourning, and that's the one that qualifies us for blessedness. Uh, it's a penitential mourning. It's one that, this, this one Jesus is going to bless when I mean, it's not wrong to mourn over those natural things, but the ones that Jesus is going to bless are the ones like this. A penitential mourning is when we realize how sinful we are and our sin makes us grieve. We say, man, I didn't mean to do that. I've done it before. Why do I keep doing that? And we ask God's forgiveness again. 
If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Right? Aren't we glad about that? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm glad about that. And that's the kind of mourning that Jesus is going to bless. When we, when we despise, See, remember being poor in spirit is when we realize how much poverty we have of spirit and how we live in a body of flesh and we can't completely overcome everything. We try and we try to give up this sin or that sin and maybe we've had victory over some and thank God for it. But there's some things that may come back to haunt us and we do it again and we... and. You know, David, I've always said David has been, he was known as the man after God's own heart. And it wasn't because he was such a good guy. I mean, he committed adultery and murder and everything else, right? But God said, he's a man after my own heart. Why was it? I've always said it's because he's a good repenter. He's a good repenter. He did wrong like you and I do. Maybe more than you and I. But when he found out God was so displeased with him. You'll see in the Bible how he repented and how he was penitent over his sins. And so the penitential mourning is when we realize that we need help. We don't have the, the spiritual strength to live up to God's expectations. And that's the gracious mourning, the, the penitential mourning. And, and, and there's nothing besides the penitential mourning. I mean, we ought to be sick and, and sorrowful over our sins. But there is a, there is a sorrowing that also gains the blessedness of Jesus that when we mourn over the souls of the lost, remember, remember how Jesus wept over Jerusalem and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I gather you under my wings as a hen doth her, cha- her chicks? He wanted to redeem Jerusalem. He wanted to redeem his people. He wants to redeem sinners today. And when we weep, like he did over the lost and the wayward, that's the, kind of, that's the kind of mourning that brings happiness, joy, and peace. Boy, you ever get excited about seeing somebody get saved, somebody you've prayed for, somebody you wept about, and then they get saved? Virgil Craig, a guy that grew up with me, called me. I witnessed to him for 30, 40 years. He called me a couple of years ago and said, Rick, I thought you might want to know I, I finally got saved. And boy, I was rejoicing with him on the phone, man. That's exciting. I'm thinking in my heart, it's about time. <laughs> a few weeks ago, his sister Ann, I'd been praying for her about that long too to get saved. I mean, they lived, they lived in a pretty rough family. And we grew up together, going to school together and all. And a few weeks ago, Ann called me and she said, Rick, I thought you might want to know I got saved Sunday. I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah, about time. But those we have prayed over and those we have wept over, those lost people, if we, if we weep and cry and pray for those in Israel who are losing loved ones, trying to defend themselves, that's the kind of blessedness that comes from mourning. And then sympathizing for the mourning and afflictions of others. Do you, do you remember in Romans where it says, Weep with them that do weep. Mourn with them. When somebody else, like the little boy, <laughs> came home and told his mother, that, uh, well, boy, it was sad at school today. Little, little Jimmy told us that his daddy died. And they just 
at his funeral a few days ago, and and uh, the mother said, "Well, what what did he do after he told the class about it?" He said he just laid his head down and just cried on his desk. And she said, "What did you do?" He said, "I laid my head on the desk and cried too." Isn't that what we ought to do? Is weep with them that do weep, and that's the kind of blessing, blessedness that comes from this kind of mourning. Notice about three or four things from this passage, or well, from the scriptures that accompany it. Um, I think the best thing we could do just to kind of get the real feel for this thing of mourning and blessedness that comes from it is to see what Jesus did. And so let's look at the pattern of Jesus. It's not recorded specifically that Jesus was lighthearted and funny. <laughs> I'm sure he must have laughed some. There's some things that he said uh, that's recorded in the Bible that, that seemed a little bit funny to me. I think he did have a sense of humor. I know, we know that he had emotions. Uh, we know that, that he enjoyed going to a wedding. It's recorded in, in Cana of Galilee. And so that was a joyous occasion. Now, it doesn't say that he laughed there, but he went there because most people enjoy going to a wedding. Uh, well, except the father of the bride, maybe, <laughs> or whoever's paying the bills. <coughs> and they might weep <laughs> when they get the credit card bills. But Jesus did seem to inject a little bit of humor here and there, but he was not a comedian. And he was not one who was known for jesting continually and making a joke out of everything. I think it's fine to have humor in the pulpit. I try to. My, my humor doesn't go over very good, but, but I try once in a while to say something that's a little bit funny just to lift the spirit, after, especially after some hard preaching where the spirit is lifted a little bit with a little bit of humor, although it might be a little dry in here. Uh, we, we, we can experience a little bit of humor and without being sacrilegious. And I think Jesus probably did, but he was not a comedian. Was he angry? Yeah, there was times. Remember when he ran the money changers out of the temple with a whip? I'd say he's probably angry that day, wouldn't you? So he experienced emotions. And so if he experienced other emotions, he probably laughed once in a while. I don't think that he was just like a monk uh, going around humming chants and frowning all the time. Let's look at some of the examples from his life. What about traveling? When he was traveling uh, to the tomb of his friend, Lazarus, remember that? John eleven thirty two. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and also the Jews weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, you remember the verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He was mourning. So there is a time to mourn. He groaned unto himself. And then when he was weeping over Jerusalem that we mentioned just a little while ago in Luke 19.41, and when he was come near, he beheld the city, wept over and he wept over it, saying, If thou hast known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. 
For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and and compass thee round about and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Jesus said, look, I came, Israel, I came to love you and save you and lead you and be your king, but you said no. And it says that he wept over the city. You know, wouldn't it be good if we wept over Cersei once in a while? Boy, I mean, Cersei's a good place to raise kids. It's a good place for the family. It's as far as towns go, I guess it's one of the better ones. I'd rather be here than any place else I can think of. But you know our city is not without its wickedness. It's not without its sin. It's not without multitudes of lost people. And maybe if we just spent a little time praying for Cersei, maybe we'd be more like Jesus, praying over Jerusalem. If we mourn over sin and mourn over sinfulness, and the godliness of our world, waywardness in others, and feel a burden for the lost, we'll be doing more like Jesus. And he says he blesses that. Blessed are they that mourn. Now notice the second thing, the portrait of some Bible characters. We've looked at Jesus. What about some other Bible characters? Uh, some saints of old knew how to, how to mourn what it was to mourn. Uh, let's look at the psalmist in Psalm 42, verse number 1. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth, after my soul, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? And people will mock you and make fun of you and say, oh, so you're a Christian. Why are you going through all these troubles? Why are you having so many heartaches? Why did you lose that child? Why did you lose that wife? Why did you lose that husband? How come things are happening to you if you're a Christian? Well, truth is we live in a fallen world and we live in fallen bodies and it's going to happen to all of us. Maybe not exactly the same in every family, but things are going to happen. And the psalmist said, man, my tears, they've been flowing night and day. I've been mourning. And then there's tears of bereavement. In 2 Samuel 18.33, And the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee. O Absalom, my son, my son. Tears of bereavement. King David was so brokenhearted over his son. And then there's tears of defeat and discouragement. In the New Testament, in 2 Timothy 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now there's grace, mercy, and peace. That's kind of what blessedness is. He says in verse 3, I thank God whom I served from my forefathers with a pure conscience 
that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. So why, why is Paul praying for Timothy? Well, look at this, verse 4. Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Timothy was a young preacher who's having some rough times. Some people think, boy, the preacher's always on top of the world. He's always encouraged. He's always getting his prayers answered. He's always, he's always in charge, man. Everything's just going his way. He's always motivated. Timothy was having some problems. And Paul said, I know about your tears, Timothy. I know about your tears, and I'm praying for you. Timothy was a fine young preacher, but he needed some encouragement because his mourning. But he had the right kind of mourning. He was mourning over the, the people he pastored and the people he ministered to. And it broke his heart. Paul was saying, you know, I'd be, I'd be weeping over the same thing you are, Timothy. And I'm going to pray for you. There's tears of earnestness. Uh, the father of the demon-possessed son in Mark chapter 9, verse 20. And they brought unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, how long ago, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said of a child, and oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us. Help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. This man was, he was earnestly asking for Jesus' help with his son. How many, how many sleepless nights had he spent weeping over his son that he couldn't do anything about? The son's demon-possessed, and he's, he's tried everything humanly possible, and he can't, he can't get any headway. He's not gaining anything. And he finally connects up with Jesus and says, if you can do anything, boy, we need your help. That's being poor in spirit. I've tried. I can't do it. It's going to take you, Lord. And the Lord said, if you can just believe, all things are possible. And he said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Have you ever been frustrated kind of like that? And he said, well, I, I believe, but I've got a few doubts too. You ever have doubts? Sometimes we're ashamed to admit we've had doubts. Not just about salvation, but doubts about, will the Lord answer my prayers? Is it, is it any good that I pray? Does he even care? Is he going to answer my prayer? Would he? Is, he? is he going to do anything in my situation? We've had our doubts. And while we need to believe, it's also good to admit that we've got our doubts. Because faith is not perfect in us because of our doubts. Notice the third thing. We're talking about the blessedness of mourning problem of Christianity. A whole culture. See if I'm not right about this. A whole culture today, a whole culture has lost its fear of sin. I mean, people, people that would have been ashamed to go to the, to go to the casinos 
few decades ago. Now Christians go and hang out there. A couple that used to get engaged and right, rightfully call each other their fiancé, now they just shack up and live together and don't seem to be ashamed of it. In fact, they go on TV and brag about it. There's no fear of sin in the majority of Americans anymore. And we wonder why God's hand of blessing is not on our country. When we don't fear Him, when we don't fear sin, when we don't have a disdain, a dislike, a disgust for sin, no wonder He's not blessing. And if I personally, and you personally, if we don't have a healthy fear of sin, I mean, fear it like a rattlesnake because it is that fast and it's that poisonous. And if we have a fear of sin, then we'll be more likely to have the blessing of mourning if we mourn over it. We as a nation don't even blush over our sin any longer. I mean, when I was growing up, nobody bragged about being a queer. He's <laughs> like, can you use that word? They use it themselves. They brag about being queer. I saw, I saw a show on TV today where they're bragging about being queer. The Palestinians, Palestinian queers are against Israel even though Israel is way more accepting of the homosexual crowd than Palestine, Gaza Strip, uh, it's pretty much a death penalty among the Arabs to be a homosexual. So they'd be a lot safer in Israel in that accord. But yet, here they are condemning Israel when they would, these mostly, the ones I saw interviewed are mostly a, here in America, where it's safe, so they can say whatever they want to say here. I'm bragging about being a homosexual. When I was growing up, even the homosexuals were ashamed to admit it. I mean, that's why they called it being in the closet. They knew that's where their sin belonged, in the darkness of a closet. And now it's out parading down the street carrying rainbow flags, defiling an emblem of the Bible. Jeremiah 8.12, when Jeremiah saw the sin of his own country, he said, Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them that fall. In the time of their visitation, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Sin in our world is not causing anybody much to mourn anymore. It's a unique thing to see even Christians who mourn over sin. And yet, that's exactly what Jesus says that brings blessedness. If you mourn for the right things, He will bless you for it. That peacefulness, that joy, that contentment that only a Christian can have in its truest sense comes when we mourn over sinfulness. So let's take it down to the last thing. What's the payoff for believers? We all, you know, we're kind of selfish. We say, well, what do I get out of this anyway? Well, we may ask why or how it's blessed to mourn. Well, that's a good question, but except that things are not always going to be rosy. When death occurs, when hardships come, when pain invades our body, sickness, surgeries, heartaches because of our health declining, I mean, I've never been in perfect health, but it did used to be a little better than it is now. I, I've got down to the golden years and I found out there ain't no gold. 
I mean, uh, 50 years ago, I was, uh, I was able to do jumping jacks. <laughs> now I'm just standing over there getting out of the shower trying to get one leg through the underwear without falling. I mean, you know. Accepting <laughs> temporal blessedness. Being blessed in spite of those things that we can't control. Pam, my cousin that died a few days ago, she didn't have any control over the fact that she had terminal cancer. Her brother was a Baptist preacher and she called him a lot and he talked to her about eternal security. She'd been saved years ago. But this was tough, you know, finding out. She didn't know anything was wrong with her and she's diagnosed as being terminal and boom, it just had a few weeks left. And you don't know. Sometimes that happens. And so she found peace and contentment in knowing that the Lord already knew what was going to happen. And she found contentment and peace knowing that she was going to be with him. And in the temporal things that we have no control over, when we mourn over those. Now, I'm not saying if I was, if I was diagnosed as having terminal illness today, I'm not saying I wouldn't cry about it some. But I'm saying if I get to the point where I can just see Jesus in all of it and understand that he understood this and he knew this was going to happen and he's control of everything and understanding that there's a celestial city on the other side waiting for me and a Savior who loves me with outstretched arms waiting for me. If I can get my mind wrapped around that, he'll bless that mourning that I would be doing now. And in this mourning that I have right now, I can have blessedness. I'm saying that you don't have to wait to get to the other side. That is, that is a reality. We're going to have blessedness forevermore once we get to our eternal city. But now in this temporal situation, we can still have some blessedness now. When things happen, it's beyond our control and things do happen that we can't fix. And things can happen that the Lord's not going to do it the way we wanted Him to do it. You may have prayed about certain things and He might have said no. He's got a better plan. I don't know what it is, but He's got a better plan. When we accept the fact that bad things are going to happen to even to Christians, then we can have a, a blessedness. Now, here's, here's where we go wrong. When bad things happen, sometimes there are some people who latch on to that hurt and they nurse it and nurse it and nurse it and they fertilize it to try to get it to grow and they're looking for sympathy and they're thriving on victimhood and and it might be something that's really worth mourning over. But when we hang on to it and we, we cling to it and we fail to forgive someone or we fail to accept what's happened to us, then we're selfishly clinging to something that we should give to Him. Does that make sense? And so if we're clinging to some hurt, I know people that have been hurt in church in years past Decades ago, and still to this very day, they say, I'm not going to church anymore. It's because that church I was in 30 years ago hurt me, and I'm not going to any other church. 
They're clinging to that. Say, well, you don't know what that pastor did to me. You don't know what that youth director said to me. You don't know how things went, how bad it was. Well, it might have been really bad. Not denying that. I'm just saying, according to the scriptures, blessedness comes from mourning that's righteous mourning, not selfishly clinging to something that we can nurse our hurts with. And we ought to be willing to forgive and forget and move forward. Spiritual mourning is a positive virtue and it finds rest in the faithfulness of the Lord. And yes, that time is coming when we will have all of our tears wiped away. I would, I would not say the, the sweetest thing that's possible to say from the scriptures tonight if I left this out. Revelation 21.4 There is coming a day I don't, I don't know that it'll be just as soon as we're raptured out. There may be some tears at the judgment seat of Christ for the Christian. There may be some tears that we shed when we stand at the white throne judgment and see some lost loved ones cast into hell. We might shed some tears there. But there is coming a time, whenever it is, in Revelation 24, 21.4, it says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, no more mourning, no more weeping. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Yes, we do have that time coming. The Word of God says it, and whether we accept it immediately or not, doesn't keep it from being true. And that day is coming, and for us, we who have trusted the Lord as Savior, that day will be coming. We said the poor in spirit is the opening of the door to the Beatitudes. If we're empty, with a yearning to be filled from heaven, the things of God, then He will do the work of filling us so that we can reflect these Beatitudes that we'll be studying in the weeks to come. It will, fall, it will follow that mourning over sin will bring a pleasant contentedness. The hymn by Frank Graff, 1901. I'll just read a verse of it in the refrain. Think about this. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained? too deeply for mirth or song. As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. Oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Isn't that precious? Let's pray together. Father, we love you and thank you for just the, the very thought in this verse that says that blessed are they who mourn, and the idea that we can experience sorrows and we can mourn over certain things, and especially if they're godly things, that you'll even bring blessedness and contentment and peace into our hearts because of it. Not in spite of it, but because of it. I pray that you'd bless us tonight. Help us, Lord, to love you and trust you no matter what happens in our lives.